All right. Hi, everybody. Our webinar room is open here today. So we'll, okay, participants are starting to come in. So we'll just uh, say hello and, and greet folks as uh, we're coming into the virtual room. Welcome to today's Ask Us Anything session. This is number 29. It's been a while. Um, I am Mark Graben. My name is not, as it says in the, uh, the thing there, Kinexus webinars, but that's my role, I guess. Mark Graben, Senior Advisor with Kinexus, and we are joined today by... Greg Jacobson. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Kinexus. So we, uh, we're doing these like every other month for a couple of years, and uh, I think it's been a year and a half since uh, we've done one of these. We do a lot of uh, presentation-style webinars. Those will be coming back in 2022. Um, last year, Greg and, and some other physicians... That he knows we're doing um, Ask Us Anything's related uh, to COVID. And today we're going to be addressing a range of questions. We have uh, some fun questions. We have some questions about lean um, and, and continuous improvement. We've got uh, two questions that we'll touch on pretty early on related uh, to COVID. We won't spend too much time on that um, today, but Greg, as an emer a practicing emergency medicine physician, is uh, well equipped to answer questions like that. Um, we've got a couple questions about um, Kinexus, uh, the company, and you have an opportunity um, to submit questions live. Um, if you want to do that and take advantage of it, please use the Q&A button in the Zoom uh, webinars window. So I don't know, Greg, is there anything else just uh, in terms of opening comments, anything that's on your mind that you want to say to welcome people here? No, I'm I'm excited to be doing this. I when you sent the the email about redoing this, like, oh yeah, we used to do ask us anything. What happened? It almost is like the pandemic. I think people refer to it as the great reset. And I always find habits are difficult to maintain whenever a reset happens, like around a holiday mm -hmm. or something of that nature. And it feels like a lot of habits ended and and started right around the pandemic time. Some intentionally and some not intentionally. This one was definitely not intentionally. And I'm glad we're picking it back up. And I can't believe we've done 28 of these before. And mm -hmm. this is number 29. Unbelievable. Yeah. And let's, let's keep doing them in 2022, at least quarterly. I like it. How's that? I like it. Perfect. All right. So um, we're going to start off just to, to get the ball rolling here. Uh, kind of a, a fun question here. Okay. What's your, uh, Greg, I'm going to ask you to go first. What's your most used emoji? Are oh. you even an emoji guy? Well, it's, it, I am not an emoji guy until about the last year, I would say. I've, I've started to get, and I'm, I'm really boring. I'm just an LOL emoji. Um, I, not very creative. What about you, Mark? So you mean like the, the, like the, the laughing, crying? The laughing face? one with the little tears coming out of the that eyes. Yeah, that's the, it's the one that comes up if I do LOL or it seems like it's mm -hmm. one of the top. Yeah, it yeah. does suggest okay. that. Um, uh, in, in place of the smiley face emoji, because I'm a long time glasses wearer, mm -hmm. I use the smiley face with the glasses. So that, that, that pops up first in my frequently used emojis, but the name for that emoji is like nerd face. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's a little harsh. Yeah. <laughs> the emoji creators, but I use it anyway. I mean, I guess it's, a, it's fine. That's appropriate. Fair enough. Um, all right. So we've got two, two COVID questions that um, had come in and, okay. and, and then we'll, we'll move into continuous improvement and leadership type questions. 
Um, the questions are pretty short. Well, you know, the answers may or may not be. Um, first question, and maybe it's hard to generalize, should I get a booster? Uh, the short answer to that is yes. The longer answer to that is still yes. But it, it looks like, uh, so for one, um, oftentimes the, the news is oversimplifying and sometimes emphasizing the wrong things. Mm -hmm. And so I try to do as little reading <laughs> about the pandemic from the, from the news. Uh, they also like to kind of be extremist in one way or the other. And I think the pandemic is, is starting the process of kind of um, becoming less intense with swings. And it's also starting the bifurcation process of are you immunized or are you not immunized? Because it's really two pandemics at this point. It's the, the vaccinated, I should say, the vaccinated population and the unvaccinated population. So um, what, what we know that vaccines do really well um, from the standpoint of things that we can measure, I should say it's not vaccines, but the infection does it well too, is um, increases our antibodies. Our antibodies are really good at um, kind of preventing getting disease. But it's, it's actually the other part of our immune system, the, the kind of the adaptive and the, I should say that the cellular, cellular immune response from your, um, the other cells in your immune system that are really important at preventing severe disease. Um, I really don't care about the mild disease. Um, we have been living with the common cold and <laughs> um, forever, and um, that didn't seem to bother people terribly. So we're really talking about the disease that's putting people in the hospitals. And so the, I, I think that our vaccinations are, are helping to do that kind of regardless of whether or not you get a booster. I think though that the boosters right now in the time when we're still in a pandemic and it's not endemic yet and the kind of viral burden in the community is still pretty high, I think it's important that we continue to boost and try to prevent any infection simply because not enough of the population has gotten the vaccine yet. And um, when we can get to, you know, as close to 100% as possible, then I think we can start being more permissive um, from a population health standpoint about allowing kind of mild infections to occur. But right now, the bottom line is, is there's two days that occur when you don't realize that you're spreading. Mm -hmm. And if 40% of the population is unvaccinated, you could be spreading unintentionally to unvaccinated people. Mm -hmm. And as a health professional, I would rather that not happen. <laughs> yeah. And so the best way to do that is to get a booster, long story short. Yeah. And, you know, follow-up question that wasn't asked, but gets asked a lot is if somebody already did have COVID, you mentioned antibodies, yep. um, a booster is still additionally helpful. Yeah. So think? there is um, just, it's just amazing how much data there is and it just keeps coming out. And there's no way that the, the lay news is going to keep Doing this. I, I highly recommend, I mean, as you know, Mark, I was writing a ton with letters to humans.com. Um, initially, I was just writing um, emails to friends and it kind of transitioned in this blog. I haven't written much. That doesn't necessarily mean that I haven't been paying attention and keeping up, but highly recommend um, uh, This Week in Virology. Um, it's a great podcast, long form, two hour long, several episodes a week. But if you really want to just tune in, um, Dr. Griffin's updates on Saturday, 30 minutes is great. And then um, another uh, great podcast um, is um, 
it's not really a podcast, it's a YouTube video. Dr. Klotman is the president of Baylor College of Medicine. He does a great 15 to 20 minute video on Fridays. He's funny and uh, he goes through all the current literature. And um, those are probably two great sources just right there that, that would take you less than an hour a week to keep up with all the medical literature. But I was just listening to this morning and uh, if you had COVID, your immune response isn't as good than, um, to, to COVID than if you get immunized through the vaccine. Mm-hmm. So there is um, all the data shows that you have a much better, I'll, I'll say cleaner um, type of immunization and protection mm-hmm. with the vaccine versus with the infection. Um, now, if you've had an infection, um, there may be some data that suggests you don't need two or three boosts. You get a lot of benefit from just one shot of a vaccine post-infection. Mm-hmm. But it's it's very clear that, um, that you get a, a, a huge amount of benefit getting the vaccine. You're going to decrease the chance that you spread it, which I think is probably the most compelling reason for people to get vaccinated right now that you just, you aren't harming other people. Um, and, uh, um, and, and there's benefit to answer your question. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. And then the second question before I'll move on to other topics, how concerned yeah. are you about the Omicron variant? I, I'm, I'm, I'm less concerned, honestly. I think, uh, a lot of this has to do with, um, behavior. Um, if Omicron, you know, outcompetes Delta and becomes the predominant variant. I mean, it looks like it looks like the vaccines are protecting against severe disease. And if you are around people that are of high risk, then you should get boosted because it looks like the booster will help you prevent the infection. So if you have not had your second dose. Um, in the last six months, then go ahead and get it. My prediction is it's going to be a lot like the Delta. It's just going to take over. There's going to be a surge. The surge is going to primarily affect unvaccinated people. Um, we cannot forget that a thousand Americans are dying a day. <laughs> we just crossed 800,000 mm-hmm. deaths. So this is, uh, this is, with 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 me kind of stating I'm not concerned I, I'm I'm just not concerned that we don't have a greater uptake of of, uh, of an easy solution um, but I am um, that to me the concerning thing is if you are vaccinated and or boost and you are getting severe disease um, that would be of concern now if I was over 65 and I was uh, and or had other medical problems I might take a little bit more pause in how much interaction I want to have with people. Um, outside of my household, but um, anyway, that's that's my prediction. Okay, I mean, I had a conversation the other day with uh, Dr. Fred Southwick at the University of Florida, where I know him from Lean Healthcare Circles. Um, yeah. where we've co-authored an article about his application, their application of Lean methods to mass vaccination clinics. He asked me yeah. to help with that article, um, but he is also um, an infectious disease. He's a professor of infectious disease as his specialty. Yeah. 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 And I think it's fair and accurate to summarize, you know, he's saying, well, you know, it is highly, more highly transmissible, but early evidence, and I've seen some news reports about this for what it's worth, is that the cases are more mild. So he was actually, you know, optimistic that um, that the 
that this is not something to really be too afraid of. Yeah, this might be one of the steps in this fading into becoming the common cold. Mm -hmm. Um, So we'll see. But um, it's certainly one of the theories. Um, I I know that there's a lot of um, misinformation that all viruses take that path. That's not the case. Mm -hmm. Not all viruses become um, less severe. There's lots of examples of uh, viruses and and, and that's where I think um, kind of following the, the twib folks are just a bunch of virologists or immunologists mm-hmm. and just smart people kind of going through the papers and, and keeping you informed. But they they'll they talk about that. But um, it would certainly be incredibly welcome um, if this virus does take that path. And this may there might be some early signs that show that it is taking that path. We'll see. Yeah. Okay, we do have one follow-up question, you know, related to, to vaccination. We have okay. you from my friend Rena. Um, hi, Rena. What do you think of summer camps requiring kids to get vaccinated when it doesn't stop the spread? Um, well, getting vaccinated does stop the spread. I mean, I think there's pretty clear evidence that vaccinated people um, decrease transmission by eightfold or tenfold. Yeah. It's not a hundred percent reduction, but yeah. it's significant. You're saying. Oh, it's yeah. We're not talking about ten percent or twenty percent. We're talking about orders of magnitude. We're at eight hundred or a thousand times less likely to spread um, in a vaccinated person versus an unvaccinated person. Um, okay. Now, I guess if the theoretical question, if it didn't, um, that would be a you know a, a separate question. But it does. So, mm-hmm. so you think you're comfortable with that requirement? I mean, you're. I, I am. You're, I mean, I think father. we're. Yeah, I'm. Yeah. Um, I, I am, and I'm. Um, I'm comfortable with that requirement um, at this point. I mean, I, I think it's going to become easier once um, the emergency use moves into kind of formal recommendations. I know they did that. I think for 18 and over. I don't know if the 12 or over or the the five or over. Um, that's happened with at this point. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, Greg, and thanks, yep. Rena. Um, we got a question that was submitted uh, by Madeline. She asked, this is back to, you know, improvement and oh, organizational good. Good. questions. Um, what are the strategies to sustain improvement? Um, let, let, let me tackle that first with Perfect. at least one thought. I mean, you know, to me, I think the most effective strategy for sustaining improvement is engaging people in the improvement process. You know, I think far too often, um, and I'm not saying Madeline is doing this, but I want to see in other organizations is the discussion about sustaining change or, or gaining buy-in as a way to encourage uh, sustainment of change is that it, it, people are being engaged way too late, that a change is sort of being forced on people. And then how do we get them to sustain it? I'm like, well, that's, I think, um, you know, that, that, that can be really uh, troublesome. So I think, you know, engaging people, um, letting them participate in, in improvement is one of the keys. People tend to, to sustain what they help create. So that would be my first thought. What, yeah, I mean, what, the, what I mean there's, I'm kind of having dual first thoughts. One is, is have you created the pieces of kind of in place to, to help create that organizational habit, right? The, the Q routine benefit. Um, and, and then, 
as I'm thinking through, so really what we're talking about there, have you created a methodology that would good kind of create good, I, I like the term choice architecture, but in this case, it would be like good, you know, behavioral architecture to set people up for success. And then I'm also thinking oftentimes what we hear about Mark is leaders saying, oh, we need to do some of this, this improvement stuff. I'm going to make a big, a big deal of it. And then it's never mentioned again. And there's this kind of assumption that, that um, you'll, if I talk about it on, on Monday, it's going to sustain in perpetuity. And I think that, that it's pretty, pretty clear. All, all systems have entropy and number one, and, and all systems are going to kind of regress to prior mm-hmm. habits that they do. So it is, it is really the job of leadership. And that's what we've seen, Mark, right? That the organizations that do this, consistently for the long haul leadership is is really bought in about you know beating the drum of improvement and and focusing on it and and making it a part of people's responsibility and uh, making it a part of the culture and and that really requires Mm -hmm. them doing very visible things to show that um, it's important and that they're doing it at the local level um and uh they really want to promote that at the at the broader level yeah and there's probably a couple of different ways of interpreting this question. I was thinking of it in terms of how to sustain a particular improvement. I think what you were touching oh, on, Greg, was, yeah, 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 yeah. You, were, you were thinking more of like, how do you sustain an improvement methodology or an improvement culture? Yeah. How do you sustain the use of Kinexus software in, in conjunction with that creation of an improvement culture? That 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 was more the the, the slice of the question you were looking at, right? Yeah, yeah, it's... It's interesting. I almost felt like uh, the same answer, but yeah, we're it's su- subtle, subtle differences. Um, I think also making it kind of answering it on your side, making it the kind of either the default or the easiest thing to do, right? Water goes down mm-hmm. the easiest path. So if you do the improvement and then you want to sustain kind of that improvement, we could get off into, you know, making that part of the new standard work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I really think if, if the standard work becomes the easiest kind of path forward, it's going to yeah. be a much easier or much more successful, you know, sustainment. Yeah. I mean, one, one other thing that one other thought I'll share, one other thing I've found helpful is not just working to gain alignment and agreement around the improvement, the solution, the countermeasure, whatever you want to call it, getting alignment and agreement around, do we have a problem is incredibly helpful. If you can't get people to agree that there is a problem or some sort of gap worth addressing, um, if you can't get people to agree that that problem is worth solving, why would you go do something new? Why would you worry about that something new if it didn't seem to be of benefit or eliminating some sort of, if it wasn't eliminating some sort of pain point in your work or in your customer's life. So I think we have to talk about the problem, not just the improvement. There's no question. I mean, right now here at Kinexus, there's been a shift um, from Google Chats into Slack. Um, And I think that the people that really uh, moved into the Slack world identified that there was a problem. And I think a lot of the people that were like, uh, I'm perfectly fine in the system that I'm in 
really didn't see yeah. there being a problem. And so kind of identify. So sometimes there's, Hey, I didn't know there was a better way. I didn't realize that there was a problem. Mm -hmm. um, I was just kind of doing what I've always done. Yeah. And sometimes um, you're truly, do you realize you're hitting your head against the wall? Um, like, um, oh no, I, I didn't realize. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, sometimes it's not always framed as a problem, but there's an opportunity. Like you said, right. there's a better way. Um, you know, cause I, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of on the, the periphery of daily work at Kinexus, but I got that invitation to join chat and I'll admit, I'm not proud of it. I had this thought of like, yeah, we tried that five years ago and it didn't work. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I laughed at myself for having that thought because that we, we hear that happen when we're trying to initiate change in organizations and I don't like hearing it and I didn't like hearing it in my own head. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was good. I think it, it, it evolved quite nicely here at Kinexus and we ran an experiment. It seems like there's a lot of people that really like the new way. And so we're finding a path forward. Um, it was an interesting kind of evolution of, of allowing that to happen. I feel, I feel that I'm, I'm proud of the way it kind of, it, it, it happened very organically and um, it happened in a, um, I think a nice way. So, yeah. And as, as a leader, as a CEO, you're not forcing it. I think it's interesting. You framed it as an experiment. Let's try it. Let's, let's see what people think. It was actually an idea that bubbled up from somebody within the company. It wasn't your. Yeah. No, no, no. I, uh, Harley was the one that was like, Oh, let's, let's give this a go. And, so the same thing you did, Mark. Well, we tried this; it didn't work. I, I thought we tried it a couple of times, maybe, it was, you know. Yeah. And um, but this time, it, it seemed like it did work. And uh, it's 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 super interesting because I'm you know, very much into growth mindset and uh, kind of other you know ways that you want to be living your life. And then half the time you. Disfluencies, for instance, you're, you're really trying to get disfluencies out of your 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 language, and then you know trying to work on it. So the growth mindset. Disfluencies are things. Sorry to interrupt. It's things like yeah. um. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, right. And so you're you're trying to to work on on ways to improve yourself, but but growth mindset is one of those. You're really trying to kind of lean into growth mindset, and then there are micro events happening all day long where you find yourself, oh, I'm thinking about this in a fixed mindset kind of way. You know, we're a company that's spreading continuous improvement. Oh, I can go into, we, we're all kind of all manifestations of every person. It's just, what are we emphasizing? So the fact that you thought, oh, here we go again. And and then how, how much you hate that was, well, I, I went through the exact same experience. I felt that and I was like, oh, I'm really being closed-minded about this. So, yeah. Well, and I, you know, my, I mean, my thought of, we tried that before and it didn't work, wasn't, and I'm in no place to try to shut that down. Mm -hmm. um, but we, you know, we've tried it before and it didn't work, could have a different tone to it. One, one could be the tone of why would we try that again? Or mm -hmm. a recognition of more fact-based. We tried that before. It didn't stick. People didn't continue using Slack. What's different now, right? Mm -hmm. what, what's changed in the circumstances? Yeah. Kinexus, the team is probably at least twice as big right. now as it was compared to the last time. So three times big. Three times big. Back then. Yeah. 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 So. so maybe that makes it more uh, compelling or I don't know, maybe the technology 
uh, has improved. I don't know. I've never really been too much of a Slack user, but yep, yep. but I think sometimes that's helpful because I have been in situations where, you know, I think it, I mean, it can be helpful when somebody brings up the fact of we tried this before and it didn't work. And then you can try to unpack why, what happened, what can we, what would we need to do differently? This go around that can be helpful. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think also, um, really just trying to force yourself as much to keep an open mind as possible through this. And so, um, yeah, let's go to the next question. All right. Uh, so Peter asked, and then this is a question we could take in some different directions. What is your advice on how to build lean systems on a culture foundation? So I'll, I'll, I'll take a little bit of a first pass at that question. So there, there's an illustration that uh, Toyota people use, um, Jamie Benini from TSSC and, and others, and they let me use a version of um, that illustration in, in my book, Lean Hospitals. But they, they do talk about um, culture being the foundation of the Toyota production system and that you have um, technical methods. So maybe that's one, you know, systems maybe is a word for that. Mm -hmm. um, technical um, methods, you have managerial practices, and that you know it's it's an integrated system. You know, Jamie Benini would say, I've heard him say, you know, that there there are philosophies that are the foundation for all of this. And you know, the Shingo Institute, you know, if you look at their frameworks, they talk about principles. Mm -hmm. So you you could use words like philosophy or mindset or principles. But I think there's something to be said to, to looking at the Shingo principles or the principles or philosophy of an organization like Toyota and thinking like, well, what principles and philosophies are we using as a foundation for improvement? Um, you know, Kinexus has, um, you know, articulation of beliefs, things we believe, slightly different language around that. And, you know, I think it is worth exploring philosophy, principles, mindsets, beliefs, before moving forward with lean practices. Um, I, you know, I think, you know, we, we, we can't just talk about philosophy forever, but, right. you know, again, as Toyota, people would say it's, it's part of that integrated picture. I think there, there's a bigger risk of just moving forward with tools and not thinking about principles mm -hmm. or philosophy or mindset and, and, and trying to gain agreement um, around those. There's also a risk that, you know, if, if lean is nothing but this, you know, it's just sort of talking exercise, then then that doesn't move us forward either. So there, there's certainly a tension there, though, right? Because in some ways, I would um, emphasize that culture is simply a manifestation of action, right? I'll, sure. I'm thinking of the, and you, you always correct me on this quote, because I always misquote it, but it's, am I going to, think my way to act or am I going to act my way to think? Or, yeah. The, I, I, am I going to think my way to a new way of action right. acting or act my way to a new way of thinking? Exactly. And yeah, it, there's, there's probably, a a, yeah, there's a balance. There's probably a little bit of both. So mm -hmm. there is probably on one end of the spectrum, Oh, we're just going to kind of kind of sit around and, and, and talk philosophy all day long right. um, where you're, probably not going to get right. anything done 
And then yeah. the other end of the spectrum is, oh, we're just going to go and um, you know, grab a couple tools and just start doing those tools and not be thoughtful about, you know, what are they and why are we using them and what are we trying to accomplish and mm-hmm. um, things of that nature. So there's probably some balance in there between, mm-hmm. you know, how are you, um, my, my gut feeling is that, um, that kind of taking an approach that says, okay, we're going to create a lean. It was a, how, how do you create a Repeat the question again. How do you create how to build a lean, lean systems on a culture foundation on a culture front? Right. So there's probably this, there's probably like this, um, non-linear way to think through that. There, this, this, Oh, you're, you're probably not going to go from completely thinking through something and then, Oh, I'm going to implement it all in one week. There's probably mm-hmm. going to be this, Oh, we're going to kind of, think through and or we're going to behave a certain way. Well, that's the definition of culture. And what are the behaviors? We're going to do behaviors that kind of promote problem solving and, you know, continuous improvement and putting the customer at the center of it. So there's probably this, just like a professional, you know, a basketball player. Well, it's, they probably don't perfect a free throw. Mm-hmm. To where they're okay now we i've got the free throw perfected now let me go perfect dribbling and now i'm going to go perfect path i mean you you probably are doing all of these things um in, in a fine balance with the kind of the right mentality and um I, I i i do think that um that that culture though is you know people like us do things like this to, to quote mm-hmm. seth Godin, I, mm-hmm. as, as i've done but um and, and then and then not to be too scatterbrained, but if I'm not scatterbrained, then I'm not myself. Um, you, you mentioned a little bit about the fact that we kind of, I would say, finally wrote down our values and traits. Um, and I would argue that it's something we could not have done back in 2014, which I often kind of consider that time frame when we became more than a two-person company, um, or even back then, uh, even back before then, because we didn't know who we were. <laughs> Sure. We didn't know what we valued and or what we think kind of created us as a company or we didn't know what traits were there. So so there is a little bit of that balance of, of OK, well, we got to we got to go do some behaviors, figure out who we are. Then we can define these things and or we should be able to define these things to influence who we're going to become. And um, it's a pretty philosophical question. It's a very yeah, Zen yeah. question. Yeah. All right, so let's. let's okay. It was a good question, and yeah. we probably talk an hour uh, about that. But let's move on to some other yeah. questions, and and I think this is one that's probably um, aimed in your direction, Greg. Um, what, what's the most challenging thing about being a CEO of, in your case here, of of Kinexus? Um, the 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 tension between. Not having any idea of what you're doing and uh, having to um, have a complete idea of what you're doing <laughs> so, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and kind of um, being comfortable with that, kind of that, that kind of I'm going to um, go from my gut, which, by the way, we have more neurons in our gut than in our brain. So there's some science based on that. Versus I'm going to, you know, read about what should be done. 
Um, and uh, so I, I found that to be the most um, challenging part of, of being a CEO, but I also find that to be the most compelling and most intellectually interesting part. Um, I don't think I have um, a problem um, listening to everyone's, you know, ideas. And, you know, sometimes maybe I'll be a little grumpy about it, but then usually five or 10 minutes later, I'm like, oh, I think, I think Maggie did have a point there. Let me go ahead and make whatever point you is, uh, you know, um, talking about, you know, try to emphasize that. But um, I, 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 so I would say that, and then I'll, I'll say, I'll give another one. It, it really feels like my role has changed um, over the years significantly um, from, you know, when we were a, a five person company, Mark, you remember that I, I was doing a lot more doing Mm-hmm. Um, and, and versus, um, now just doing a lot more kind of influencing or giving recommendations or advising or kind of giving, you know, how I would interpret some data. Yeah. Um, and that's been, that's been a very interesting manifestation because you, you're doing what you're doing. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, I think I should be doing something different. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you never figure that out exactly on time. Yeah. I mean, in general, I appreciate leaders, um, whether it's in healthcare or otherwise, leaders who don't feel like they always have to have the answer, or don't feel like they always have to be right, or don't feel like, well, they always get to have their way. Right. So, well, you know, because they're they're the boss, quote unquote. I don't even like the word boss, but um, but yeah, I mean, I think that that comes through in the way I see you leading. So I think that's a healthy thing. I think that's good for an organization. When you have and, leaders who are open to input and, and we'll say, well, let's run experiments. Let's figure it out as opposed to, well, no, I know the answer. Just go this way. Yeah. I, I, I think that's especially easy when you're doing a startup that has not really quite solved this problem before. Mm-hmm. Um, I think potentially um, if you were going to, you know, um, start a plumbing company, there's probably certain ways plumbing should be done and certain ways plumbing shouldn't be done. And there's just some yeah. operations thing there. So there's probably, there's probably opportunity to be creative and to provide things that the market hasn't seen and, and do things in ways that delight people. But there's probably more of a narrow. Um, well, there are standards, if not requirements and code. Right. For how plumbing oh, true. Is yeah. That's, yeah, that's, uh, you mean code in plumbing or code in software? I mean, I, I meant like, let's say building code. Oh, right. right okay. Okay. Right, yeah. right. When I thought you said code, I thought you meant all of a sudden software and I, and yeah. I was like yeah, thinking, yeah. yeah. But so. you could be creative in um, the marketing or you could do innovative right. things around, I don't know, let's say instead of, instead of saying, we'll be there between eight and four. Right. Like if you could actually say, hey, we're going to show up at one thirty. We'll see you then. Right. right. That, right. that would be a plumber doing that. That would be appreciated. Yeah. Given, given the assumption that they're going to come in and uh, be able to do the job and do it properly. So um, there's a couple of questions that I think are related here because, you know, the, the past 18 months, Kinex is especially has done a lot of virtual meetings. I mean, that's been part of the company approach for a while because uh, we you know, have, you know, a, a center of mass in Austin. Um, no, there's always been a number of people in the DFW area for people who don't know, you know, Greg and Matt as, co-founders and um, executives 
Um, you know, uh, Greg's in Austin, Matt is in uh, the Dallas Fort Worth area. So there's always been a lot of virtual meetings and, and that's increased over the last 18 months. So there's a question here, what's one thing we could do to improve our virtual meetings? I'm sure there, there's some things you've, yeah, I see that face. Uh, you, so you've come across some, some tips here. I, I I'd love to hear, I, I have a couple of things, but before I kind of pollute the conversation, Mark, how would you answer that? You're in virtual meetings also. One thing that we do to improve our virtual meetings. Um, I think, um, see, I, I'm starting to think of like, just what are good meeting tips in general of, you know, having an agenda and an expected outcome stated in advance. Um, you know, kind of, you know, cultural reminders of, um, you know, uh, making sure people feel safe and comfortable speaking up and challenging and questioning the status quo, like to avoid groupthink. Um, I thought those aren't necessarily virtual, virtual yeah. meeting tips. One thing I remember you always asking is uh, for people to have their cameras on. Yeah. So that's, that's helpful, right? I feel, so I, I, we are, that this is something that I probably had more influence than many other things at Kinexus, but mm -hmm. I, I feel um, passionate about uh, cameras being on. Um, my my thought process is is when we're all in an office, you can't turn your camera off. <laughs> you're 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 there presently, so there's there's that. But then additionally, um, I, I do even before Kinexus with um, being a faculty in emergency medicine um, and uh, teaching and even, you know, going back into college, I was, you know, TAs and tutors and classes and I was doing lots of teaching. There's nothing more demoralizing in my mind than talking to black boxes where you just have no idea like what people's interactions are. And so, the, the nonverbal cues of smiling, of nodding your head, of, of, of showing that you are, are paying attention <laughs> are, are hugely important, I think, to the person that's speaking and, and allows you to have that kind of nonverbal communication. I mean, I, I don't know the exact percentages, but most of our communication is nonverbal. Yeah. And so by just removing that, um, so I, I feel... I feel pretty passionate about um, about cameras being on as much as humanly possible, and mm -hmm. and I think we do an amazing job of that at Kinexus. Um, mm -hmm. uh, we've done poorer in the past, um, but but over the last several months, I mean, it's been just really exceptional. And I know a lot of people, um, you know, aren't a hundred percent bought on board, but it, it's very appreciated that we're trying to still be as connected as we possibly can. The other thing that is a tip that I only discovered. Um, probably in the last several months is I turn off self view. Mm -hmm. um, I think looking at yourself constantly is <laughs> so stressful and so time consuming. And if your face is on the screen, you're going to look at it. Like because that's a difference from normal in-person meetings. We don't have a mirror across the table. Right. Right. And so with Zoom, if you haven't figured it out, you can hit the ellipsis and you can hide self-view. Uh, we're on a webinar now, so I've I've turned it on one time in the last 40 minutes just to make sure yeah. you know, I don't have 
something you know weird on my face or anything but otherwise it's off and then the other thing you can do i appreciate that (laughs) the other thing you can do is just bring a bring um, another app or bring the q a or bring something because google meet just just cover your face Mm -hmm. and i i think you will find that your stress level will will go significantly down so. Yeah, I, I I've I use that feature in the webinar because we're recording. I'm afraid if I did that, it would. I don't know what that what the impact is on the webinar recording. I should oh, test that. I should yeah. test that sometime. Well, and, and then another trick, kind of when we're talking about this, is I try to put the person I'm talking to in a small screen. Mm-hmm. Um, one because if if they're in big full screen, their head is literally larger than their head is in real life, which is a little jarring. I mean, yeah, you have a beautiful head mark, but I don't need, you know, a two X version of your head, 18 inches away from me. Yeah. Yeah. So I just kind of, I make that and I put your head, your, your face, I should say as close to the Mm -hmm. camera as possible. And that's just another trick that makes it feel a little bit more natural. Yeah. Yeah. In zoom, you can rearrange maybe, especially as the meeting host, I think you can do this other times. You can rearrange the boxes the Brady Bunch boxes or however many people there are. So yeah, I do the same thing as you, Greg. I, I try to bring that other person's eyes as close to the camera uh, as I can. I'll put my, if I don't have it hidden, if I can't hide it or something, I'll move mine, you know, kind of you know, down to the bottom. But um, yeah, they're trying to create that appearance of eye contact the best you can. I mean, like right now here, I'm looking right into the camera. That's That's something a lot of people recommend but then I'm now only seeing your reactions to things out of peripheral vision. So Which, you know, I've seen different technical solutions, like supposedly FaceTime on your phone. There's a little trick that if you're looking at the screen, it makes it look like you're making eye contact through some digital magic. And then I sometimes see ads for like a webcam that you can kind of put down into the, you know, over the center mm-hmm. of your screen. Right, right which that may solve some problems and, and create other problems. But right. I think the eye contact thing is something we're still figuring out. Yeah. Just scrunch up the image and put it right next to the camera. And that's you're 90% of the way there. Close. Yeah. yeah. All right. So another question, um, what's, what's Kinex is doing in terms of getting back into offices. So we are pretty much back in the Dallas area. We maintain an office. I, I, we're going to be a hybrid company from here on out. So, you know, uh, I, I, I don't know if I can say, I always know what the future is, but certainly the immediate and in probably even more medium term um, of Kinexus is that we're going to be hybrid. It seems to be what is really working well for people. I know it's working really well for me. Um, and, uh, that doesn't mean if you want to go in five days a week, you can go in five days a week. Um, but yeah, in the the Dallas, in the Dallas Fort Worth, and our Dallas Fort Worth team has grown a lot. Um, and uh, as not just developers now, we have you know, testers and product up there and operations. And so a number of them are going in and working in the office. And then we, you know, we moved out of our office in Austin, and so we're we're looking to get that back going and um, working on finding a place. So I would imagine. Here in the next month or two or, or three, we'll have an office. And uh, the thought right now is that it'll be more hoteling or every every desk setup will be pretty identical where you can just kind of sit down and plug and play. And there'll be a, a lot of rooms where you can make calls and have you know smaller two, three person meetings. But that's kind of where we're at. We're 
going to see. And, and we're also, we're also hiring people that are not based in Dallas or Austin. So we'll need to make sure that we have good technological solutions that they can feel like they're in the room and not a third class citizen. Um, so. Yeah. So we'll see as, you know, we, we do a lot of virtual interaction with, uh, with customers and we want Kinex's customers to get the same service and support and attention, regardless of where the person they're interacting with is sitting. But, you know, we, we know there are, you know, benefits to, to having people um, together. And um, that's, that's part of what figuring out that hybrid workplace have, yeah, we, we what, did what uh, that means yeah we did holiday, holiday parties last week and they were super fun to i mean there were a number of people many people that i have never seen <laughs> in person and so that yeah. was just a lot of fun there's there's something that i i mean maybe in the future they'll be able to fix but there's certainly with the technologies we have today there's still something a little bit missing so yeah yeah and i'm looking forward um to late January, Kinexus does biannual um, get-togethers, and so I'm looking forward to to doing that. It's been two years. There are a number of people on the Kinexus team I haven't met in person since I was yep. out of town and not able to do the holiday parties. But um, let, let's transition a little bit. Um, there's a related question here about meetings. Uh, Morgan from our team here at Kinexus asked a really good question. How do you how do you gauge the proper quantity of meetings versus the benefit of having work time? And less context switching. So that that kind of, that kind of question could apply to: Should we meet once a year in this all company meeting, twice a year, quarterly? There are there are trade offs, and, that, and the same thing would apply to meetings that are maybe being held weekly or daily on a, a, a more ongoing basis. What what's some of your thought about that, Greg? Um, one. I'm wondering which Morgan it is. Um, Morgan Robertson. Okay, got it. We have two Morgans on the team. We, we uh, do. We are, we're right. always playing with that. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think the answer is going to be different for different people. There's a great blog post that um, Adam Hamed, our uh, chief architect, sends out occasionally. It's called Makers versus Managers. Mm-hmm. And so it talks a lot about context switching. It talks a lot about um, the kind of work people need to do. Um, and kind of optimizing for their stretches of time or kind of the engagement. So I would imagine that that will not be the same for everyone. One of my kind of hopes and might be um, unrealistic hope is that if people are on a meeting that they are not getting value from, that, uh, that especially if it's a recurring one, um, that there would be a conversation um, that says, Hey, do we really need to keep doing this? Is there any way we can think of alternate ways to communicate the information? Um, and, uh, and, or they just decide to, to drop off. They have more valuable, um, things or high, I should say things that are higher up on the priority list. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I, I really, I, I, I don't, I don't know how to answer it other than it's probably going to be different for different people. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, a lot of it's going to have to do with like, what are you, what is the work <laughs> that you yeah. do? Like, what do you do here? <laughs> um, what are your thoughts about kind of how to think through that, Mark? Well, I mean, I think there, there need to be some cycles of reflection and revisiting the value of a meeting versus the cost of the meeting. Um, what's the purpose of a meeting? Is it a meeting that's designed uh, mainly for updates and communication? 
Is it a meeting that's designed for debate, discussion, and decision-making? Um, you know, I, I think you always have to be careful. Like one thing I've seen in, in other organizations through my career is that when people start referring to something as like the nine o'clock meeting, that meeting may have lost its sense of purpose. It may have become just sort of a habit or a routine or a ritual. Um, I would rather than the nine o'clock meeting call that, you know, the daily huddle. And maybe the daily huddle isn't as descriptive of a term as it could be, because are we huddling just to huddle or are we huddling you know, for, for what purpose. So those are a couple of things that come to mind. It's always good to go through cycles. And, and like you said, hopefully people feel safe to speak up and question, should this meeting really be an email? Should I be attending this meeting? Right. Am I, am I a spectator or am I contributing to it? Um, those are good things to evaluate. And we've been on. experimenting with recording um, um, some meetings and mm-hmm. they some some things that I wanted to be a part of, they'll just record and, and I'll listen to it. And I've been, you've heard me talk. I have kind of increased the speed at which I listen to podcasts. Yeah. And so um, I, I'll listen to meetings at one and a half or even two X and I'll get a flavor for kind of what was discussed. And so I really like that. We we also, for our weekly meeting that we do on, on Fridays where we all get together, we take notes. Um, and I've found those to be invaluable for the times when I'm not at the meeting, you can review those notes in a couple minutes and get a sense of, you know, what people are up to and what they've done. Um, I actually review those notes after the meeting because I always learn things. I was like, oh, I didn't, Mark did say that. And I totally didn't process that because there's only so much attention you can give. Right. And so there, I think there's, there's um, kind of those things to think about. And then I, I don't want in the, in the mix of this conversation, I think there is like, we, we had a meeting today um, on, we do a, a CE dev meeting. And for the first 15 minutes, um, there is just not anyone that could uh, ha- have looked at that and said something productive occurred. Um, mm-hmm. If we're talking mm-hmm. about kind of tactical to do's, but does that mean it wasn't valuable? You know, I, to me, it was valuable. So there's just, you know, we were all kind of ripping and poking fun. I don't even know, remember what we talked about, but like yeah. there was just, just kind of hanging out and just being, we're social creatures. So mm-hmm. um, we shouldn't forget about just, yeah, you know, th- those kinds of interactions. I'm, that I'm, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because um, one regular Kinexus meeting on Friday is sort of an all hands meeting. Yeah. And, um, you know, at the beginning of that meeting, I mean, it's good that um, you know, it doesn't jump into the agenda one minute in. Like there's an amount of there's a certain amount of especially in virtual times when people aren't able to get together. There's a certain amount of just sort of loose discussion, um, you know, kind of building some camaraderie or just getting to know each other and things like that are um, important to spend time on, too, I think. What I find so interesting about that meeting in particular, what it's taught me is that not saying something every second is sometimes really valuable. And I'm, I'm a kinetic person and I'm constantly trying to, you know, get things going and trying to get through my to-do list. And so we do this practice of gratitude and someone will share a gratitude and then there'll be silence for five or 10 seconds. And to me, 
yeah, I'm like, oh my gosh, silence. It seems a little awkward. And then inevitably, like on second seven, someone, I'd like to share something. And then you're like, oh, well, great. Mm-hmm. I'm glad. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I, 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 we kind of created that space for someone to kind of formulate their thoughts to do that. So um, there's another group that I work with that very consciously will leave up to a 10 second count of asking a question to the group. Mm-hmm. And leaving that space because some people process what they're going to say before they want to say it. And some people should process a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, giving that, giving that pause and that permission, 10 seconds really isn't that much quote unquote wasted time, especially when it gives a space that makes it more likely that somebody might then speak up as opposed to saying like, Oh, I miss, I, mm, I missed my window too late now. Uh, yeah. And another another thing I've learned is if Greg listens to meetings on 2x speed and you really want him to get something, speak that part slowly. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, um, all right. So um, another, another is kind of a random question. This would be a short question just to, uh, to spice things up, if you will, in the spirit of ask us anything. What's the weirdest food you've ever eaten? Of Ooh. course, weirdest being subjective, if not judgmental, but yeah, most unusual food, weirdest food that maybe most everyone hasn't eaten. I don't know. How are you going to answer that? My brain didn't work like this. Well, okay. So first thing that comes to mind is, um, from one of my trips to, Japan, maybe four years ago. And I'll Mm. preface it by saying I am, I've gotten totally comfortable with raw fish, Mm. raw or slightly like, you know, meat, like a a beef tartare or a beef carpaccio, or even, you know, um, basically raw steak at a a sushi restaurant uh, are things I've gotten comfortable with. Like teenage me would have never thought I was going right, to do right. that. Yeah. But in Japan, where it is often served as a delicacy, and I wasn't concerned about safety because I know it was being done properly and whatever, raw sashimi chicken. Oh, interesting. That was a challenge. No, I've not had that before. Yeah. I tried it and it's just, I, it's better cooked, whether okay. it's grilled or fried or poached or whatever, grilled. Uh, did I say grilled already? I did. Yeah. Um, I, you know, there, there, there are certain texture benefits or whatever to, I think, you know, things that come through with raw fish or even raw beef, but the raw chicken, I'm like, mm, so the, no. So the salmonella with chicken has to do with handling, I guess. I just never thought about, because you're not supposed uh, to eat raw chicken, right? Because of salmonella. It would so. be illegal in the U.S. unless okay, a restaurant. Yeah. I've heard there are restaurants in New York that do it sort of under the table if you're in the know and you ask. But I mean, I think literally, like the literally the, like. Well, no, it's, it's on <laughs> yes. the down low. But yeah. I think you know, I think one of the places in Japan that specialize in this, um, there's a freshness and a cleanliness in the whole operation from. Um, butchering or you know getting the chicken sorry this is gonna yeah. be a plus anyone's people are eating lunch maybe while they're listening to this but i did not think it was better because it was uncooked Fair just enough. Text, and it wasn't just because it was new to me i'm like i just i don't think this is better like frying a chicken i think is an amazing thing I, so why um, would i eat it raw right right yeah no I, I i would have to think about i'm sure 
my wife Adrian, if I asked her, what's the weirdest thing? Because I, I just I'll pretty much eat anything if other people yeah. are, if, if it's edible. I mean, if it's just something sure. that people eat, I I don't I'm I'm always up for an interesting experience. Before we get too further on, um, Adam had posted about about meetings about the P O S T I T method or post it method, and so that might be something people want to. Um, look at oh, that was, it, I, it was in the chat. I didn't the see chat. It. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, and uh, so just want to throw that out to, to folks if that's something they want to, I think to me, the, the, the thing I'll speak, speak to about this, I, I think meetings that, that do have a purpose and a clear agenda, even if they're recurring, um, like, Oh, these are the things that we do uh, during this time. I'm always, not, I wouldn't say always, I feel like they're, tend to be more productive than the non-productive mm-hmm. when I'm, when I'm meeting, I have some recurring times that I go through things with, with people um, at, on the context switching. I, I have a system where if I want to talk to, let's say I, Mark, you and I work um, um, intimately with uh, each other on, on things. And we're now doing like two work sessions that we just have block. Like Jeff would be someone I, I have this I have two work sessions in a week. When I, when I, think of something that I don't want to interrupt him with. I just toss it on that list. And then when we meet at mm-hmm. those times, we usually have, Oh, I needed to talk to you about that. I need, we need to talk about this. So that's something to think about. And then the other, some kind of system where you're not interrupting people that you work with. Um, and then the other thing to think about is I think if there is a recurring meeting that does have a purpose, when that purpose is done, just end the meeting. I mean, we end meetings early mm-hmm. all the time here. Yeah. Um, there's no reason to, you know, to be a gas with a meeting and to fill the space if, if, if everything has kind of been accomplished and yeah. so not to go back to the meeting thing. I just, no, I just right. noticed that, that there was a comment and I wanted to. Yeah. And for people who want to Google that, uh, I'll just summarize real quickly for people who are just listening or watching to the recording post it purpose, objective, structure, timing, then inputs and type. So whether the inputs to the meeting, what type of, meeting is it? So thank you for sharing that. Uh, all right. So maybe real quick in a couple, this is a question that maybe okay. deserves a longer answer. Uh, a question that came in here live, how can you keep motivated as a continuous improvement manager? Do you have thoughts on that, Greg, based on customers and people you talk to? Yeah, I think, I think the, the, the only thing I could think of from, from, from this that would be kind of unique and interesting is I genuinely feel to the bottom of my heart and, and, and incredibly passionate about the importance that doing continuous improvement is to humans, to the people that you work with and to the organization. So constantly reminding yourself of, of what you're doing matters. And that doesn't mean that every day or every week or every month, you're going to be the most effective and they can have knocked out of the park and everyone's going to, is going to see your, your vision or understand why you're doing, but, but just don't forget that it really matters. Yeah. Would be my. Yeah. Well, and, and hopefully the motivation is strong. If a CI manager, um, Ideally, is in a situation where um, the culture drive for continuous improvement comes from the CEO and top executives. Yeah. Um, I could see where someone's, if, 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 to your point, if someone felt like the work isn't important or if it's not connected to a core part of business strategy and results, and, and it, it could be 
um, tiring in a way. I don't, you know, I don't know if that's demotivating, but down. I think executives, I mean, there's a role for um, CI managers and CI professionals and specialists, but I think there's a lot of evidence out there that the CEO can't, cannot delegate the, the creation and the, the nurturing and, and the growth of a, cu- a culture of continuous improvement that can't be delegated, like tasks and work and, and, and training and coaching and support and things that can be delegated. Right. Right. But I think one thing that helps keep motivation alive is when the organization from the very top um, isn't putting someone in a position where they might get worn down. If that makes sense. A hundred percent. Yeah. You can't delegate passion. <laughs> Um, cool. All right. Well, with that, uh, my clock just ticked to the top of the hour. So I think we'll uh, go ahead and wrap it up there. Um, thank you, everyone who submitted questions in advance or during the session today. Um, if you want to sign up to be notified about future webinars, both the presentation style webinars and uh, the Ask Us Any Things that will uh, continue, you can sign up for the, uh, to be notified about those at kinexus.com slash webinars. So I want to thank everyone for attending. Greg, thank you for uh, being a good sport with questions about you and your work and the company and and other things. Maybe next time if you come up with a weird food, we can start with that. (laughs) Sounds good. And I always appreciate spending time with you. I I always learn stuff from you, Mark. So thank you for making this happen. All right. Well, thank you, Greg. Thanks a lot. And uh, we want to wish everyone the best for uh, the holidays and going into the new year here. And we'll see you. Kai next time. Kai next time.